Ah, there's the red button. <laughs> mm -hmm. So this is Ben Gillespie interviewing Lenore Chin at home in San Francisco on July 30th, 2020 for the Smithsonian Institution Archives of American Art Pandemic Project. Lenore, as a retired public health worker, how have you experienced the health crisis of 2020? Uh, for me, I, um, I draw parallels between uh, what I witnessed as a healthcare worker, uh, I would say in the early 80s when we had uh, HIV and AIDS sweeping through the GLBT um, community. Uh, and at that time, a lot of people uh, who were not part of that community thought that it would not impact them or there was nothing to be concerned. And also in those days, uh, uh, very early on, it was thought that it was something that hit primarily gay men. So that was another uh, issue of um, uh, misunderstanding in the general public. Uh, and at that time also, uh, when we look back at parallels between then and now, um, there was a woeful lack of um, adequate uh, response from the government at any level to the seriousness of uh, this pandemic. Uh, and there was a lot of uh, misinformation about the disease itself. And of course, we knew more as we went along, but also, it didn't help when we had people who had some serious homophobia going on, spreading misinformation about how you could get it by, for instance, maybe riding an elevator with somebody or, you know, being in the same airspace, you know, uh, uh, breathing next to somebody, uh, uh, sharing utensils at a restaurant or, or you know, it, it was just wild misinterpretations. Um, so there was that addition. Um, and there was a lot of um, anxiety about, um, you know, how fast it was spreading. Uh, and of course, the, the public policies were very shaky around that. Uh, and adding to that uh, was, you know, the uh, uh, reaction that we needed to cl uh, close down the, um, the gay bathhouses. And, uh, and th that was a, a whole other issue because, you know, you had the owners who, you know, had difficulty uh, understanding that they, there needs to be some compliance or at least some form of education. And there seemed to be some reluctance on that part. On the flip side, you had people who were uh, a knee-jerk reaction, let's just shut everything down and all of that. Um, and, and so that created a whole set of other issues and it was quite a few years before uh, any kind of medical treatment uh, became available. But that doesn't mean that it's over because there are still people who are sick. Um, in my personal life, I, after a while, I, I lost count of how many uh, passed on. It was essentially serial loss in our uh, community on a, on a grand scale. But today's uh, epidemic, um, it's... The tragic part is it's invisible. You know, in the back in the day when <coughs> we saw people who had gotten the uh, HIV AIDS, and when they got really sick, it was visible when you saw people out walking around on the streets or walking with canes or being, you know, um, 
pushed along on wheels, wheelchairs, you know, and as they became more, as their health became more dire, it became more apparent. With this pandemic, unless you are working in a healthcare environment where you're confronting it day to day, or you have somebody in your personal um, life who has been impacted <coughs> by, um, uh, you know, being tested positive and then getting sick and that kind of thing, you don't see it. But as a healthcare, as a former healthcare worker, I still get information from some of my friends about, you know, what they're dealing with, the, the level of stress, the frustration with the um, uh, parts of the public that refuse to wear masks or think it's no big deal or it won't affect them. Some, some think that, oh, it won't affect them because they're younger or they don't have pre-existing uh, issues. And so therefore, if they do get sick, they'll just go to the hospital or whatever and they'll get treated and they'll recover. Well, they don't really know what recovery means. You know, I mean, there could be long-term uh, uh, significant effects. And that's not something that you really want to have to deal with if you can avoid it. Right, and especially a crisis that we're seeing um, alongside other racialized issues in the U.S. And mm -hmm. um, from San Francisco and as a public health care worker uh, involved in activism for racial justice um, and more broadly, how have you witnessed that unfolding? and? Um, how has it influenced your own experience of COVID-19 and life in America in 2020? Well, you know, what it's really forced a lot of us who are in communities of color is to uh, remember that uh, while we're seeing a lot of, you know, uh, horrible things uh, essentially coming out of the woodwork, uh, no thanks to our administration at the top, um, what it's done, especially in uh, populations where there are uh, significant groups of Asians, like San Francisco, New York, and you know any metropolitan city, but even some of the smaller towns where there are you know there are Asians there, uh, what it's what this has caused is a um, a lot of uh, an escalation in anti-Asian um, uh, violence. Uh, anything from uh, verbal uh, assaults on the street to downright uh, uh, beatings. Like, uh, I think it was about a week ago, uh, there was a bus driver, one of our Muni bus drivers was um, beaten uh, while he was on his bus because, I think it was a man, uh, because he had asked three people who had boarded uh, to put on their masks and they refused. Uh, and instead, they began spitting on him, uh, hurling verbal assaults, uh, and then they took uh, a miniature baseball bat and started hitting him with that. Well, some days later, uh, it came out that that bus driver was uh, Asian. Uh, he, uh, the person has not been identified, nor did they identify the three people who uh, beat him and those people I think got away. But that's just one example, you know. And so, you know, initially when um, we were starting to hear about COVID-19, um, 
the uh, one example of a response was that the Chinatown community got together very quickly and through the Chinese hospital and their media and local and neighborhood leaders, they were able to get on board with the um, recommended guidelines. Uh, and so even though they had already taken a, a heavy economic hit, uh, they went with the, with the, the idea uh, and, and they, you know, they, it wasn't hard to convince this uh, group to say, this is what we need to do. Part of it, I think, is also they remembered what happened with SARS in China. Uh, whereas I noticed the rest of the city was slower to come on board with taking those guidelines. And, um, you know, in addition to the anti-Asian stuff going on, there was also the you know, I mean, we already had the anti-Muslim thing going on. I mean, everything since 216 was just a downward spiral, but now it's all converged. The, the positive note is, uh, if there is one, is that some of this com these communities have, have come together to uh, offer mutual support. Like the Japanese Americans were really quick to come uh, uh, out, reach out to the Muslim and um, Arab American communities in solidarity because of their history during World War II being interned. So there's, there's positive uh, notes in this narrative. It, it feels like a parallel between the HIV AIDS crisis and the current COVID crisis that it really foments a fear of one's neighbors mm -hmm. and in a time where we're all feeling so isolated what are you doing to find community well um some of us especially in the creative community and uh and various other communities that i'm uh that i move in we've just sort of transitioned to doing you know uh more online zoom presentations or zoom uh, interactions like yesterday i had one with a, a core group of about a half a dozen uh asian americans who are artists of one sort or another and so we share you know some of our family histories what they went through uh like one one japanese american showed uh images that i'm sure will eventually go to the stanford archives uh, because it talked, she had pictures from when her parents were interned, and even prior to that. I think her parents actually met in internment, which was kind of interesting. Um, and so uh, I think that really speaks to the importance of documenting these historical uh, events and everything, because they really are history lessons uh, that are um, uh, important, not just for now, but for future generations. So we talk about all of those things and also the kind of creative work that we're, you know, doing now and sharing all of those things. But as elders, I think we're, we're seeing how important it is to pass this information on to the next generation. And in terms of passing down that information, your, your paintings and uh, your photographs are so concerned with self-affirmation and mm -hmm preservation as restorative forces for a community and as a means of um, seeking a claim to an identity in the face of incredible adversity. And how do you feel your own work changing during this time? 
Well, time will tell, but um, I think because I'm now doing more um, uh, digital photographic work, I mean, I, I transitioned from painting to photography, it, you know, it was a variety of different reasons, but um, I, I just sort of ran out of room in my studio and it became impractical. Plus, because my, um, my painting, uh, my income from my painting was rather sporadic. That's one of the reasons why, you know, healthcare was very good for me because it essentially it subsidized my my art profession but um uh i would say over the last uh 10 years i began to transition more to photography which was always part of my art practice but now you know i'm i'm more literally focused on that uh prior to COVID 19 i was doing a lot of street photography or i was attending a lot of cultural events or political gatherings, uh, things like that. So in a sense, I've become sort of a chronicler of our times as it relates to the communities that I'm involved with or interested in. Um, that kind of came to a grinding halt in early March. I stopped taking uh, public transit because I thought, well, you know, anytime I would catch a cold or something like that, it was usually because I had written, uh, you know, on Muni, coming home. Uh, and then it, then uh, when it became apparent that it's coming to California, you know, uh, one of the first things that one of my doctor friends um, had recommended, and it turned out he was a gay man who had treated my dad when my dad was quite ill. My dad's gone now, but uh, Greg Oxtus was the uh, geriatric uh, neurologist who treated my dad. One of the first things he said is, stay out of enclosed places, uh, wash your hands, you know, uh, uh, wear a mask, you know, all of the things that have become a mantra. And, and so I began to take that more seriously uh, as time wore on. I haven't been to a Safeway or a Costco since probably early March. Um, I usually go to a little mom and pop supermarket um, grocery store. Um, which was temporarily closed and then they re reopened and you know they kind of reconfigured it so it's a little safer. We all wear masks now. Um, and, and so I was really hunkered down for those several months until Juneteenth. Uh, that was when um, uh, a Japanese American friend of mine uh, who <coughs> she and her sister spent uh, some years in uh, an internment camp she said, well, you know, the Japanese elders have been invited to join the African-Americans at the African-American Art and Culture Complex because they're laying a second layer <coughs> of paint on the Black Lives Matter that they had put in the street. And it took up city, three blocks, three long blocks. Well, it come to find out it was actually organized by friends of mine. So that worked out really well. And I thought, gee, I wonder if I could go over there. It's outdoors. Uh, I could I could kind of scope it out from a hill and see if it looks safe. Uh, and it was. I had my gloves, my hat, uh, mask, and all of that. So I went down there. I took a lot of photos. Uh, it was it was good to um, see my friends there, you know. And we're all in our garb and everything, and uh, in our community, and and doing something we felt was important and affirming and. Um, it's interesting that over the years, you know, uh, prior to um, all the uh, upheaval that a lot of people uh, 
non uh, white people essentially got really freaked out about the Black Panthers. Now, some 50 years later, we're celebrating uh, <laughs> the the movement that people refused to acknowledge until George Floyd was murdered. You know, so and the the second thing that I went to was a um, uh, Japanese uh, in solidarity with uh, BLM in Japantown. And the third thing that I went to, and this was the last thing I went to, uh, was in June on what would have been the day of our Pride March, which was canceled. Um, some uh, friends of mine organized a uh, People's March, uh, and it followed the original route of Pride from 50 years ago. Uh, and so, um, it was organized by Alex Yuen and, um, and assisted by um, the transgender community. And they came down Polk Street from Washington and had a rally uh, at City Hall, which was pretty well attended. And so I stood back with Rick Gerharder, who's a, a local uh, gay photographer, you know, being sort of the elders in our community instead of being up front at the stage where we probably normally would be, we were on the lawn taking pictures from afar. So that felt safe, you know, because we could, we could do what we wanted to do from a distance and still be witness in that way. So that's what I've been doing. Those are really amazing moments of intersectional solidarity amongst communities. And mm -hmm. um, I'm very glad you've been able to safely participate in those. And just by way of um, wrapping up, could you tell me a little bit about your specific hopes for the rest of 2020 or moving into 2021 um, for, for your own work and for the communities you're involved with? Uh, well, one, I hope we send uh, a resounding defeat to number 45 and his cronies. I mean, that would be wonderful. We shall see. Um, we really need to turn out the vote. Um, but I think a lot of people, especially a lot of young people are pretty fired up. So I'm hoping that the campaigns can strategize uh, and get behind Biden, even if we might not, even if he might not have been our first choice, I don't think we have a choice and we can't throw this vote away. Uh, you know, now is our, our, uh, our chance to, you know, rise up essentially and do something in that way. Um, uh, in my own work, it would be nice to get out and about a little bit more. Uh, I haven't even gone to any of those outdoor uh, restaurants that are, you know, I, I still am not comfortable with that yet. Um, and eventually, I would like to get back on track with my um, uh, limited travels. I had to cancel my trip to Hawaii, where I normally go, because my brother and extended family live there. And I just felt that one, I don't want to get into a lift at this time, just getting out to the airport, uh, much less an airplane. And, and then uh, in addition to their initial travel ban that they implemented, they also had a 14 day quarantine. And so I thought, well, there's no point, even if I wanted to go through all those other risks to jump from the frying pan into the kettle or vice versa, you know, uh, for me, I think I'm glad that I was able to do the things I was uh, able to do prior to this. Um, I was in a big Art After Stonewall show that started in New York, 
uh, and it, it traveled and I was able to fly out to New York for the first time in decades. So that was, that was great fun and it was a great celebration. That, that was another 50th year anniversary or whatever. So we'll see. Um, a lot of people are saying, well, we want to go, we want to, you know, be able to resume some of our freedoms. And, uh, and some uh, are also saying, we don't want to go back to the normal we had before because that wasn't so rosy either. You know what I mean? I think if anything, I hope that this will give people an opportunity to reimagine how we want to live moving forward and what things that we might be able to, to do to um, reconstruct um, public policy uh, and maybe how we reimagine uh, uh, safety issues and where, where the uh, social worker might be more uh, uh, important to integrate into these ideas rather than entrusting uh, all of our resolutions to having the police come out and, and try to handle things that they're not well prepared or trained to, to deal with. You know, I, I just want to hope for a better world down the line. Yeah, well, um, thank you very much for speaking with me today, and I, I really hope that you get to have some um, some beautiful and safe celebrations in the near future. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>